Hey, good morning. I've talked to several pastors over the years, and every once in a while you'll hear that people will say, you know, people are scared to say the name of Jesus anymore, or scared to pray about Jesus, pray to Jesus, or sing about Jesus. May I say that there is no fear here to talk about Jesus. I mean, every, every song, it's about Jesus. We know where our hope comes from. The scripture says we lift up our eyes to the hills because we know where our help comes from. Our help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. And we know, that's, we know that's God, we know that's Jesus. No fear here. And I'll tell you, just be honest with you, there's no fear here today in the message either. This is going to be Jesus-centered, which you would expect nothing less. But um, I'll tell you just straight up, straight up front, I'm expecting some people to get saved today. I'm expecting some people to get cleansed today, even people that already are saved, but just need a really good cleansing. I'm expecting people to get healed today. I just have an expectation, not because of anything that I would potentially do. It's just that I'm going to be, and I'm just asking the Lord to make me bold, to speak the truth of Jesus, the things that he does, and then just let the Holy Spirit do it. You know, I, could, I, I, I used to get a little nervous. Oh, but what happens at... It's not my reputation, it's Jesus' reputation on the line, and let's just see what he does. Before we get started today, though, I want to recognize uh, uh, two groups of people. Uh, one is Chase and Allison, that's Amber's brother and, and my sister-in-law. Chase and Allison are here from Seattle, Washington. Where are they at? There they are. We've been, we've been float tripping and all that kind of stuff, I haven't even seen you yet. It's wonderful to see you. Chase actually works on a nuclear submarine with the U.S. Navy. And, and they, they brought their two kids, Carson and, and Nolan, and Allison, she does way more important stuff than even Chase does. She's, she's a mom. <laughs> so glad you guys are here. Looking forward to the rest of the weekend. Also want to recognize Brenda and David Hardiman. In fact, I want to actually call them forward today. So I'm not sure where you're sitting, but go ahead and come on up. As you know, Brenda and David serve with our children. And Brenda and David have actually been serving with our children for 10 years. And around Bethesda, we really don't recognize people until you hit like 30 years. That's kind of a general theme, like maybe 25. That's our age. Oh, yeah, good call. He said, that's our age. You could have been on the float trip with me. Us 27-year-olds. Um, anyway, I just wanted to take the time just to say thank you, even though it's not 30 years. 10 years is quite an accomplishment. And anywhere else, 10 years is like an eternity. We live in a culture that is so disposable, so temporal, so as soon as it gets uncomfortable or as soon as it's not exactly what I want, we just bail, and you guys are not those kind of people. And so let's rise and thank these guys. You can come up. We love you. We appreciate you. Bless you. We want to pray for you. All right. Pastor Dan, Brenda, stay here. Stay here. Stay here. Come here. Would you would you pray for them? Sure. To continue the, the work that they've done. Precious gifts of God to us, Lord. People of integrity. People who stick with it when the going gets tough people with an incredible work ethic, 
people with a love for children, people with a passion for the kingdom of God, we thank you for David and Brenda. Thank you for how faithfully they have served. Thank you for how confident they are in you and the confidence that they instill in parents, how they love and nurture children in this place. Thank you for their maturity. Thank you for their wisdom. Thank you for their skill set and all that they do. And so today we bless you for them and we ask your blessing that maketh rich and addeth no sorrow to it to be upon David and Brenda as we simply take a moment to pause and thank you for how you have given them as gifts of God to us. And so we ask you to bless them and give them another 10 years, 20 or 30 here at Bethesda. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you guys. Love you guys. Thank you, David. All right. Well, this week I took a friend of mine engagement ring shopping. He had a lot of fun, and he ended up getting a nice, very nice ring. Now, there's a girl in here somewhere going, did my boyfriend hang out with you? (laughs) No, they didn't. It was somebody else. I wouldn't have said it. But while waiting for him and while surrounded by lots and lots of diamonds, I was reminded of a recent radio interview of one of our Dallas Cowboys players, and he said something that I immediately heard and texted myself because I didn't want to forget it. It was the kind of thing that coaches say to their players when they want to really inspire them to push past their, their perceived limits and such. The quote goes like this, pressure makes diamonds, but it also busts pipes. So I heard it, and I liked it. And I was immediately curious of who said it, so I Googled it, and according to the internet, capital I, internet, the first part of the quote is credited to the great World War II U.S. Army General George Patton. He said, pressure makes diamonds. I'm sure he said it like that, because that's George Patton. Pressure makes diamonds. And several websites, including Wikipedia, agreed that he was the one that said it. So basically, we have no idea who, who said it first. But we're going to credit him. As for the rest of the quote, pressure makes diamonds, but it also busts pipes. It seems to me in my research that either it was first said by NBA all-star Robert Ori, or it was first said by a rap artist who I am way too white to know anything about. (laughs) Sorry, but regardless, I want to use the quote this morning to springboard into a spiritual concept. Thank you, Pastor Shaler, for letting me or for driving yesterday, so I got all my notes typed out last night. Otherwise, you were just going to kind of get whatever fell out. So the concept is that a person can encounter the exact same thing in different situations and come away with different results. Okay? We'll have to flesh this out a little bit. But a person can encounter the exact same thing in different situations and come about with different results. Case in point, pressure. Pressure can contribute to the making of a diamond, And as we mentioned earlier, it can also bust pipes. Pressure can really make a shower feel good, and it can also really be painful if it's located in your sinus cavity. Pressure is great to have in a tire, but bad to have when the preacher starts preaching if it's in your stomach. You know, this is a bad bad time for you guys. If it is, step up and walk out, come back in 10 minutes. So pressure can, of course, bring out the best in us and also the worst. I like to think that we all overcome pressure more often than not and that we've benefited from the forming of proverbial diamonds 
uh, in our lives because of it. After all, Romans 5 declares that we rejoice in our sufferings, and, and pressure can sometimes feel like sufferings, pressure of life. So again, it says we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So you want character? You want hope? You gotta go through suffering. You gotta go through pressure. Pastor Des has often said we praise God in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. That's a little free Des bonus right there for you. So all right, so this is all by way of introduction just to bring attention to the idea that the same thing can produce very different results depending on how a person responds to it. Let's take a look at the scriptures, specifically at rocks and at fire. Even more specifically, let's look at the rock and the fire. And by rock, I of course mean Jesus. In the Old Testament, Psalm 118 foreshadows Christ when it says, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Clearly, Jesus is the stone, and clearly, he was rejected. And he was broken, to, he was broken and undeservedly even died. Matthew later quotes back in the Old Testament, Psalm 118, but then he adds this, and I really like this. He says, anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. I hope you recognize by now that Jesus naturally divides people. Sounds counterproductive, because I thought Jesus was loving and compassionate. He is, but he naturally divides people. I was in England this past month, and let me tell you, we talked about Jesus a lot. One of my classes was contemporary evangelism, so it wasn't just as learn about evangelism, it was, it was going out and, and evangelizing, so we evangelized everywhere we went. And when you bring up the name Jesus, it either created all sorts of warm and fuzzies in conversation, or it shut down that conversation quick, because he divides. Jesus divides people. In fact, Jesus even expects division. Not amongst his people, of course. You guys can probably remember that Dan taught on Psalm 133 recently and talked about the, the commanded blessing that comes from people in unity. No, Jesus doesn't want his church divided. We have got to stand in unity, even though we have little petty differences and stuff and the primary things we've got, it, we've got, we have unity. So he doesn't want his church divided, but he does want us divided or separated from the world, which is becoming more and more of a problem recently when you can't tell the difference between the church and the world. So we're different after all, we are set apart. You cut a pie and you put a slice aside, that slice has been divided from the whole. Division in that case is really good. And God does it all the time, all the time. He divides sheep from goats. He divides wheat from thistles. He divides good fish and bad fish. He divides saints and he divides to, from sinners. I think that one of our problems today is that we often think that God separates into more than two categories of people, but he doesn't. There's not a good, a good enough and a bad. There's only a good and a bad in the eyes of the Lord when he separates. Said differently, there's a godly and there's an ungodly, period. Honestly, my favorite way of saying it is there's a righteous and there's a wicked. He's made me, and he's made you, if you've trusted in him and believed in him, living a life according to him, and, there's, and like James chapter two talks about, there's, there's proof in the pudding. I mean, there's like, your faith actually looks like, like Jesus. He's made me righteous, and if he hadn't, I'd be wicked. Child molesters and ax murderers are wicked. 
Adults who don't care for their aging parents are wicked. People who abuse their authority are wicked. People who steal from others, people who give false testimony in court are wicked. We all agree. And so are people who are not right with God. Let me be clear. And so are nice people, moral people who are not right with God. There are only two categories when God divides. He divides into two. Psalm 1 quickly makes this distinction. First three verses describe the good, the good man, the blessed man who walks in the Lord. And the last three verses describes the wicked man who doesn't. There are only two categories, after all. There's only six verses in Psalms 1 and only two divisions. Let's go ahead and just read it so you can see it for yourself. Again, verse 1 to 3 and then verse 4 to 6. You'll see a stark difference. It says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his way he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. That's the end of verse 3. Switch, switch gears here. Not so the wicked. That's right. Not so the wicked. Not, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That's the ending of Psalm 1. That's the whole Psalm 1. Two categories. Wicked and righteous. Let's look back once again at that quote and the idea of the day, which is pressure makes diamonds, but also busts pipes. Remember what I said earlier, the same thing can have different results depending on how you respond to it. We're still talking about the rock. Jesus, after all, is the rock. Jesus is the stone. The question today is, how have you responded to Jesus? How have you responded to Jesus? And it matters today how you respond to Jesus today. Because we respond to Jesus all the time, moment by moment. It's not how I did it when I was 10. It's how do you respond to Jesus today. When he entered your path, did you fall on him and break to pieces, giving up your sinful ways and adopting his righteousness? Or did you trip over him because your eyes were focused on other things and not on him? Did Jesus get in your way today? Did Jesus get in your way? You don't want to stumble over Jesus. Remember, Matthew says, he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. I want you to see it. I want you to hear it. So I'm going to quickly illustrate it for you. This is so that you can, uh, you can, you can just lock it into your memory. Now, I'm not a prop guy. I don't use props. I mean, some people do. Some people like to do stuff like in the ceiling and drop things and use rubs. I'm not typically a prop guy anymore. I'm, I'm matured. <clears throat> but today, let me, let me prop it up for you. And I don't expect everybody to see it. doesn't matter, really. I just kind of want you to hear it. I got in here is two glasses. My wife didn't know I brought these. It's not a big deal because these are my favorite glasses. When you want a cup of tea in my house, you get one of these glasses, men. This is a glass. My wife and the other girls, they get one of those little ones with a little stem and a little, eh, there's four ounces for you. But this is what we drink out of. It's a good glass. I've got two more at home, and we'll be going to Ikea very soon to get some more. <clears throat> anyway, 
So what I wanted to do is just, again, you don't have to see it, and I didn't really want to make a big mess at all, <laughs> but I have a rock, and who's the rock? Jesus. I have a rock, and I want to read that scripture again, and I told you there's only two categories, and we got to figure out which one we are. It says, so again, the scripture says, he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. So I just want to show you, I'm not, I'm not going to like build this up and have you cheers. I just want you to see it, hear it, okay? He who falls on this stone. That was messier than I thought. Sorry about that. <clears throat> he who falls on this stone will be crushed, but he who the stone falls on That was, that was more like what I was expecting, staying in, the, staying in there, a rat. But he, who falls, but he whom it falls will be crushed. You know the interesting thing about that scripture is? Everybody breaks. Everybody gets crushed, which is, which is awesome. I want <laughs> this is when you wish there were three, four, five, and six categories. So you can just keep breaking stuff. I have volunteers coming up, and, but, it, but there's just two categories. The point is you break either way, either now by choice or later as a punishment for your choice of choosing wickedness. Oh, man, it's so hard to say that because we're like, I didn't choose wickedness. I was, just, I was being good. It's wicked or it's righteous, and the only way to righteous is through Jesus. There's no, that's what they call self-righteous. It's like we think we're doing good. The, the, the Jews did that. It says, you think you're going to get to me by your works, but really it's by faith. It's through Jesus. That's how it's going to happen. And so everybody breaks. You either, get, you either break yourself on him and basically say, you know what? I shatter all that I want. I just, I, I just count it as nothing. I humble myself. I break. And then you can put me back together. Or later when there's no more time to choose, you get crushed the other way. And then you don't have any, any, any choices, and that's when you get separated with the goats and the bad fish and the unrighteous and the wicked. I love the simplicity of the next scripture. It calls Jesus. Jesus, the one that we love so much. Jesus, the one that like in movies has wearing like the, the purple thing and the blonde flowing hair. That Jesus, he says, Paul says in Romans 9, it says, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. They sound like three times fast, please. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Jesus is called the stumbling stone. Some of you are stumbling over the stumbling stone. Jesus is setting himself in your path deliberately so that you would fall on him and be saved. But instead, you just stumbled over him. Oh, how I wish I could choose for you. I would choose that you would look to Jesus, the one who saves, so that later you won't be crushed by Jesus when there is no longer chance for salvation. Just as pressure can in some circumstances make diamonds, yet in other circumstances bust pipes, Jesus can in some circumstances save a soul, yet in other circumstances throw it into hell. The result is determined by our response to him. Scripture says in Romans 10, 9 through 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Paul goes on to say, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
It's real clear. I mean, in the scriptures, it's real clear. It's choose one or the other. Which path are you going to be on? And it's really clear also, if you choose this one, you will be saved. Everyone will be saved that calls on it. So Jesus, the stumbling stone, is also Jesus, the stone on which a life can be built. Jesus, the stumbling stone, is also Jesus, the stone that when the storms come and you're grafted onto it and the life can be built on it, you're not going to get blown away. Jesus, the stumbling stone, is also the same stone that you, you wrap your arms around when all hell is breaking loose in your life and you don't get blown away. And you know that the next storm's coming. It's just whether or not you got the stone, you're grabbed to the stone or anchored in the, in the rock or not. I wonder if anyone here is thinking, Josh, come on, chill. You're not preachy. I don't, I don't think you even know how to be preachy. But you are talking a lot about hell and punishment and being crushed, and that's just kind of kind of, kind of un- uneasy, kind of awkward, kind of just really don't want to talk about. Are you trying to scare somebody into Christ? Well, first of all, yes. <laughs> I mean, kind of. I mean, I mean, no, but yes. I mean, I, I'm not Mr. Scare Tactic. Nothing I've done here is, is, is scary. If you're thinking that, I, that reminding people, Running people to hell and stuff is a, is a bad thing. I would just say, hell's terrible. I mean, I mean, seriously terrible. So yeah, I'm trying to scare people into choosing Jesus, I guess. I, I sure hope you, you get a little scared. I know I was scared. I and mean, we choose Jesus all the time. But I remember the first time I really made a decision to follow Jesus, 12 years old. I was like bawling like a baby, couldn't understand it, why I was doing that. 12 years old at the at a Dave Reaver camp, and I just, I just, I was so moved because it was like the, the, the light bulb went off that said, you know what, you were dead, but now you have life, and that was like, whew, that like mattered to me. So I'm, pre- I'm deliberately presenting the good news of Christ and the alternative, which is the bad news of rejecting Christ this morning. I'm bothered by one of the growing views in our day, which is the view of universalism, which basically means everybody's going to get to heaven eventually. That's kind of a way. Talk to people long enough. We're all going to get to heaven. Yeah, every, every religion, just be good. Just be good. It's, we're, all, we're all heading that way. Let me go on record by saying I don't buy that. And, and primarily because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I think that when we don't share the realities of the gospel with others, and when we don't warn people of the reality of hell, then we are actually practicing Universalists, even though we would never adopt that, th- that doctrine intentionally. But if we're living a life where we're not sharing the gospel, then we're basically saying we believe everybody's going to end up getting there. Or we don't care where they go. And I don't think either one of those are where a, a believer wants to be. So, okay, back to the stone. When we encounter Jesus, one of two results will occur. We either fall on him or we stumble over him, which is true for you today. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon spent much of his time teaching and preparing preachers. One day one of the students came to me and said this. I just want to read it. This is out of a book, Soul Winners. Very challenging book. After like three chapters, I wasn't even sure if I was saved. It is like, <laughs> he's, he's awesome. All right, it says this, though. So again, a, a student comes to him and says this. I've been preaching now for some months, and I don't think I have had a single conversion. So Spurgeon said to him, and do you expect that the Lord is going to bless you and save souls every time you open your mouth? He said, no, sir. 
And Spurgeon says, well then, that is why you do not get souls saved. If you have believed, the Lord would have given the blessing. Spurgeon says, I'd caught him very nicely, but many others would have answered me in just the same way he did. In fact, I did when I was reading it. No, I don't expect God to do He says, they trembling. Spurgeon's being sarcastic here. He says, talking about people that aren't really expecting the Lord to do something great. He says, they trembling believe that it is possible by some strange, mysterious method that once in a hundred sermons, God might win a quarter of a soul. They have hardly enough faith to keep them standing upright in their boots. How can they expect God to bless them? And he says, I like to go to the pulpit feeling this is God's word that I am going to deliver in his name. It cannot return to him void. I have asked his blessing upon it, and he is bound to give it, and his purposes will be answered whether my message is received, leading to eternal life, or ignored, leading to death. That's Charles Spurgeon for you. I've been praying those same things this week and last week, that I'm going to share this message. And it's not going to be anything from me, but I've invited the Holy Spirit to speak, to move, and to do something. Is that Curtis Carley? I love you, man. You are one of my favorite people. I love you. So we've been looking at the stone. I was also going to look at the fire today, but we're done. Almost. Want to go a different one? Let me finish, though, with an illustration instead. We, we, I don't want to take up too much time. The fire would take just as long as the stone did, but it's okay. We've made the point already. I want to finish with an illustration, and I'm not feeling rushed for time. I just want to get to the end, but not for time. <laughs> sake. Just gives me material for my next sermon. <laughs> so let's look at the fire. Let me finish, though, with this illustration, and I would have shared this illustration anyway. In, uh, when I was one day shy of one year old, my parents were in Upper Volta, West Africa. Now it's called Burkina Faso. Anybody remember to Burkina Faso? Yeah? Nobody. <laughs> Anybody heard of Burkina Faso? All right, so they bought this brass camel with a rider, and I've actually got a picture. It'll, it'll come up soon. Um, this brass camel was made by one of the finest, uh, or probably, my dad says, the finest as far as in this art form. And it was called, the, the, the art form he used was called the lost wax method. Okay, anybody, any artists in here, you ever heard of that? The lost wax method? Okay, it's, it's not uh, that, the, that the method has been lost, that we forgot how it was. But it's, it's the, the wax is lost. And so here's how it works. An artist will get wax and will carve whatever he wants. In this case, a camel with a rider. I mean, every detail. I mean, the beard and the eyelashes and the, the, the hair on the camel, every detail he wants. He'll make this thing of wax. And then, after he's done, he'll take clay, wet clay, and he'll pack it and just pack it around and get into every little crevice and just more and more clay until he has a ball of clay. You can't even see the wax anymore. And then he strategically puts a hole or two in certain spots and then he takes that ball of clay, which doesn't look nearly as pretty as the wax camel thing did earlier. He takes that ball of clay and he puts it into the coals of the fire and he leaves it there for hours. And as the heat just, just warms this, this clay up and as the, the heat transfers through the clay 
and into the wax, what happens is the wax melts, obviously, and it's lost through the holes. It drips away, and after several, several hours, he then takes the clay ball, still looks pretty much the same. I mean, it looks just like he did when he put it in, and then he sets it aside and lets it, lets it cool off for hours and hours and hours, maybe a couple days, and then he takes the clay and he smashes it on a rock. No, I did. No, he doesn't. <laughs> Sorry, I got ahead of myself. He takes the clay and he turns it upside down before he smashes it on the rock. And he, he takes liquid brass or whatever metal he wants to use, iron or whatever, takes liquid brass in this case and he pours it into the hole where the wax was vacated, pours it into the hole, and he lets that cool for another couple days. And then he goes back to it. And that's when he takes it and he smashes it on the rock and all the dirt and all the junk and all the, you know, the, the clay falls off, and what's standing in its place is this. this. And this is like way sturdier than wax. Like this is, this is uh, see, I'm 34 and 30, 31st, <clears throat> so I'm almost 35. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, and this is still in good shape, way stronger than the wax. Reminds me, when, I, when, I, when my dad was telling me about that story, because he gave me this, I put it on my bookshelf, it reminds me of 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God. Again, I'm not going to share a ton about fire, except to say this. There are many examples in the Bible where fire is used to destroy and at other times, it's used to consecrate, even to cleanse. Remember, one thing can cause two different uh, results. One example is Moses in the, with the burning bush. Notice that the bush was not destroyed by the fire. You guys remember that story. And furthermore, it was actually cleansed when the fire came upon it. No bugs, no disease, no cobwebs. None of those things lasted when the fire came upon it. It didn't destroy the bush, but it sure did cleanse it. So this morning, the question, my question to you guys is this. Um, does anybody want to be cleansed by the Lord Jesus? Uh, I, would like you, I would like to invite you to the altar this morning to do that. Um, also, my question is, does anybody want to fall on the rock today before it's too late? Again, the, the reward for not falling on the rock is hell. The reward for for falling on the rock is life and more abundant. It's a great thing. I'm not scaring you. I'm just just being real. I mean, that's kind of that's what the choice is, and we have a chance today. I want to invite you to this altar here in just a minute. If you need to get saved, the altar's open, and you can get saved today. If you need to be cleansed, the altar's open. You can get cleansed today. Um, I was told recently by a very awesome guy. I learned a lot from him, but I was told recently, he said, he didn't know I was a pastor. He said, if you ever become a pastor, you don't call the altar the altar. That's dumb. We don't sacrifice animals on the altar anymore. Jesus has come and has done away with that, and he just gave me this whole long spill about how that's just the silliest thing. God can just work where they're in their seats. Don't come, don't, if you want to call them up, call them up, but don't call it an altar, for goodness sake. That just, just went on and on. And I raised my hand, because I was in class. I raised my hand. The lone Pentecostal guy in the non-Pentecostal school. <laughs> I, said, I said, but don't you think that 
the altar is also symbolic of Romans 12 when it says that we offer our bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord. Don't you think that? And you know, he said, no, that ain't what that is. <laughs> he said, nah. i tell you what. Yes, it is. The altar, can the, Lord, can the Lord work back there? Absolutely. He's, working, he's been working there all morning. But I'm inviting you to the altar this morning because uh, I want you to come up and I want you to offer your life. I want you to pretend, like if you're not saved, I want you to pretend that this is the rock. Don't get this spot right here, though, because there's a lot of broken shards <laughs> right about there. There's, but pick some other spot. <clears throat> I want you to pretend that this is the rock, and I'm going to fall on it. Because the scripture says if I fall on it, yeah, I'll break to pieces, but he'll put me back together. And his ways are better than mine anyway. And I've tried to do it my way for a long time. It's just really honestly not working. Or I've been following God for a long time. And what Josh is talking about, that cleansing, just to be honest with you, I've kinda, I'm kind of dirty. You know, the apostle, oh gosh, I'm going to guess here, Peter. But one of, the, one of the apostles, he wouldn't let Jesus wash his feet at first. Do you remember that? He's like, no, 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 don't do that. I don't do that. And Jesus was like, no, I'm, I need to do this. And, and it, was, it was reminding me one time that it's like, whenever Jesus said, I don't need to wash your whole body. You don't need to take a shower. You just need to walk your, wash your feet because you've been kind of walking through the, the dirt and the mire and the dust of this world and you just need to be cleansed. I know you're saved. I know the Lord's done a work in you, but you just need to get your feet washed. Uh, maybe, maybe that's what I mean by like the, the fire being a cleansing today. Some of you guys, uh, maybe it's just time, you know what, between me and the Lord, I just need to get some things cleaned. It, I'm just not right. 99% doesn't cut it in the Lord's economy. I really want all of me to be right with the Lord. I want all of me to be cleansed. And so the altar's open for that as well. Um, so yeah, so the altar's open. I can wait just a minute. Go ahead and, go ahead and come down. I'm intentionally doing this where it's not real uh, hype and, and stuff because these are decisions that matter. If I'm gonna hype you into getting cleansed, you're gonna get hyped right out of it later. I'm gonna convince you into it. You'll get convinced by something else. But the altar's open, and I'm serious, you've got like 45 more seconds. Do you wanna get cleansed? Do you wanna get saved? Just watching you guys watch, walk forward just, it just ex excites my heart because I'm asking the Lord all week and two weeks, Lord, would you move? Holy Spirit, would you move? I'm not a very good communicator like the, the great ones in the world. I just, but I know you are awesome and you draw people. And this just excites me because that's what the Lord's doing. I love, I love Jesus. And I love that he wants to work. You know what's interesting is I see a lot of girls and just a couple of guys maybe, maybe not even a couple. I wonder why that is. I'm meddling right now. <clears throat> but I'm being serious too. There's some, thank you. Thank you, I love that. Not just because he's a guy. I love that guy because I grew up with him and the Lord's working in his life. We need some dads that will stand up so their kids can see him. All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do that thing that you do. Pray that you would save those who came needing to be saved. The scripture just says if we would just 
believe, confess that we would be saved. I pray too that uh, for, the, for anybody that came up just for cleansing, I know you already started that work. Your fire can destroy, but this morning it is consecrating, it is cleansing. And it's like raging, and yet it's gentle. And I ask that those things, that, uh, that they specifically are asking for, for cleansing from, as they've confessed it with their mouth, or they've confessed it and come down to the altar a step of faith, that you would do that for them. You would break whatever that the enemy uh, has going in their life, that, that stronghold, that curse. And in its place, you would uh, put your righteousness, give them strength to walk on. Lord, thank you that, uh, that you've given us a choice. And thank you that, that so many have chosen to fall on you or to be cleansed by you as opposed to the alternatives. Lord, we just give you the credit for it and we just ask that you would continue that work in their lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you guys. If you have been saved, you came here for salvation, you need to talk to a pastor, you need to talk to, uh, like today, because this is a starting line, not a finish line. This is, there's, there's, it's, it, there's a whole world ahead of us, but we've got we to be walked through it. If you come for cleansing, walk away realizing that the Lord cleanses and receive it. And when the enemy comes in in just like 25 seconds and says, that didn't happen, or you said that before, or just realize that is the, the condemning voice of Satan and not the loving uh, voice of Jesus who has made a way for you. And so receive that healing, receive that, that cleansing, receive it, and then, and then walk it out. Just like, just like Jesus told the woman, go and sin no more. I'd say we need to do the same thing. So God bless you guys.